Hello and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane, and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most frequently rewatched movies in a 20-year period. Today I will be discussing number 10 on my list, Embassy Pictures and Monument Pictures, 1985 adventure romantic comedy The Sure Thing, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Steve Bloom and Jonathan Roberts, and starring John Cusack and Daphne Zuniga. In his first term at a small northeastern college, Walter Gibson, known as Gibb, played by John Cusack, is frustrated with his sex life, or rather, lack thereof. So when his high school best friend Lance, Anthony Edwards, sends him a picture from UCLA of a beautiful woman, Nicolette Sheridan, and promises that she's a sure thing, no questions asked, no strings attached, no guilt involved, Gibb takes the first ride he can find to California for winter break, even though that means traveling with Allison Bradbury, Daphne Zuniga, who has already rejected his underhanded advances and is on her way to visit her boyfriend, Boyd Gaines. Gibb and Allison's constant fighting finally pushes the driver, Gary Cooper, but not the Gary Cooper that's dead, played by Tim Robbins, to abandon them on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, and they are forced to find their own way to L.A. Their adventures prompt them both to learn from each other and start to change for the better. I remember not being very interested in this movie when my mom first got it from the library, and her really having to talk me into watching it. I think I was pleasantly surprised the first time, but it wasn't until I rewatched it a couple years later that I truly appreciated it and became kind of obsessed for a while. I saw it for the first time in 2004, then eight times in 2006, three times in 2007, once in 2009, three times in 2010, once in 2011, once in 2012, once in 2013, once in 2015, once in 2016, twice in 2019, and twice in 2022. I would have watched it more in recent years, but for a while I only had it on VHS. My sister's had it on DVD for several years, but since we don't live near each other, I don't have many options to watch her copy, so I did finally get my own DVD of it last year. And it's very rarely available on streaming services. There was a major boom of teen movies in the 1980s, many of which are still considered classics now, but hardly anybody ever talks about The Sure Thing, and I have no idea why, because it is truly delightful. Most of the people involved in this movie were just starting their careers. Rob Reiner had only directed one movie, This Is Spinal Tap, prior to this, and it was both writers' first feature film, and it was John Cusack's first starring role. So The Sure Thing has the charms of a low-budget project that everybody's making because they want to, not because they think they're going to get rich and famous from it, with the added bonus that many of the actors did become rich and famous later, so you can watch it and go, oh look, it's Dr. Mark Green from ER back when he had hair. Or, wow, is that a very young Tim Robbins? But even if none of them had made anything else, this would still be a fun movie to watch because the writing and acting are incredible, especially when it comes to the two main characters' arcs. I know the dynamic of a button-down, over-organized control freak paired with a spontaneous, go-with-the-flow goofball has been done to death, but no movie does it better than The Sure Thing. The characters of Gibb and Allison are so well-developed that they feel like real people rather than a tired trope. Even though it's fairly obvious from the moment Allison enters the story that she and Gibb are ultimately going to end up together, their journey toward that predictable conclusion is never dull. Part of that is because of the obstacles they encounter on their journey across the country, but the main reason is because they were perfectly cast. Apparently, both John Cusack and Daphne Zuniga were a lot like their respective characters at the time and therefore brought a lot of themselves to their roles. The whole shotgunning a beer bit was added because Cusack mentioned that was something he could do, and that became an important way to show the evolution of their characters and relationship. 
Initially, Rob Reiner didn't even want to consider Cusack for the part of Gibb because he was a minor, but the casting directors talked him into giving the then 16-year-old a chance, and Cusack's audition convinced the director that he was the perfect Gibb. Producer Roger Birnbaum went to court to have John Cusack emancipated and served as his legal guardian during filming. It is a little uncomfortable to know that Cusack was only 17 at the time of filming while his love interests were 20 and 21. Like, I know the age gap is only a few years, but he was technically a minor and they were technically adults, although their characters were all meant to be 18 or 19, so it's not like the movie is promoting inappropriate relationships. Yes, it definitely would have been better to cast someone who was over 18, but at the same time, John Cusack does such an incredible job playing this character that I totally understand why they went ahead and cast him anyway. He plays Gibb with the perfect balance of kind of a jerk, but still kind of sweet, that keeps the audience rooting for him while still criticizing his bad behavior. And the way he and Zuniga play off each other is endlessly compelling. One of my favorite scenes, not just in this movie, but in any movie, is after Gibb and Allison have been kicked out of the car and accidentally left all their cash in a hotel room, and they're sitting on the side of a deserted road at night hoping to hitch a ride. Allison finds a stick of gum in her purse, unwraps it, and the second she's about to put it in her mouth, Gibb says, I'm starving. So Allison dutifully breaks the gum in half and splits it with him. Then he starts listing other complaints until she can't take it anymore and snaps, Can't you try to look on the bright side? Which, of course, is the sky's cue to start pouring rain. In their desperate search for shelter, they find a trailer, but there's a padlock on the door. Gibb starts frantically pounding at the lock, and Allison thinks she might have a nail file in her purse, so she starts searching and suddenly finds something much better. She tells Gibb, I have a credit card. He's so focused on getting into the trailer that at first he doesn't understand the implications of what she said, and his immediate response is, credit cards work on a completely different kind of lock. And Allison says, I don't think you understand. I have a credit card. You have a credit card? I have a credit card. You have a credit card. And then her face falls as she remembers, Oh, my dad told me specifically that I can only use it in case of an emergency. And he just looks at her, soaked from the pouring rain and deadpans. Well, maybe one will come up. And it's just so good. The comedic timing between the two of them is utter perfection. And they're also very good at having serious moments together. Like right after that scene, when they're in a fancy restaurant because it was the only place they could find that would take a credit card, oh how times have changed, Gibb opens up about where his interest in outer space came from. Earlier in the movie, both with Allison and with other girls, he's tried to use his knowledge of space and astronomy to impress slash seduce women, not very effectively. But here he's being vulnerable and genuine, and Allison's reactions show that she recognizes and appreciates that. And then when they finally get to L.A. and separate, they both do such a great job of showing how much they have changed while still remaining true to who their characters have been from the beginning. Allison starts to realize that her boyfriend Jason, whose idea of a good time is staying home, playing cards, and admiring the special hangers and flannel sheets, is not nearly as fun to be around as Gibb. And after making such a deep personal connection with Allison, Gibb starts to question whether an emotionless sexual encounter with the sure thing is really what he's looking for. Neither of them say these things in so many words, but they make it abundantly clear how they're feeling, and it's very rewarding as an audience member to see the characters we've become so invested in reach that point in their journeys. But they're also very mad at each other, mostly because they've fallen for each other against their will, and it isn't until they somehow get back to the East Coast, we never see how that happens, but I guess it's not important, that they resolve this tension. 
and the way they reconcile through a paper that Gibb has their English professor, played by Vivica Linfors, read to the class is an amazing way to end the movie. So basically, this is a story about two very well-written, perfectly cast characters who go on an extremely satisfying journey that is just as fun to watch the 20th time as the first. Now, if you've listened to other episodes or even just read the description of this podcast, you might be a little confused right now. But Jane, I can imagine you thinking, aren't you aromantic and asexual? Isn't this movie all about a character pursuing sex and then coming to the very amatonormative conclusion that he should commit romantically and sexually to the one person he's had an emotional connection with? Why would a movie like that be in your top 10? And, you know, those are fair questions. They're the kind of questions I asked myself a few years ago when I suspected I might be Arrowace but wasn't completely convinced. And an important step on my path to recognizing that that label truly described me was when I realized that I appreciate this movie from a very Arrowace perspective. For one thing, it always irked me that the movie ends with Gibb and Allison kissing. Why can't they end up as friends, my obliviously aromantic teenage self would lament during the years when I was watching this movie the most. But on the other hand, I had always appreciated the message that forming a genuine emotional connection with someone is more fulfilling than casual hookups with people you've lied to and manipulated to get them to sleep with you. So I liked the part about sex isn't actually the end-all be-all of human experience, but I disliked that the conclusion was, but finding a romantic partner is. Could there be a more airways response to this movie? And as I thought about it even more, I realized that even though I'm positive that this was not the intention of any of the filmmakers, there is a way to interpret the character of Gibb as being on the asexual spectrum. In the first half of the movie, he does appear to be in constant pursuit of sex, at least at first glance, but a lot of his attempts are kind of half-hearted. You get the feeling that he wants to be able to say he slept with a lot of people because his friends in society tell him that's what will make him cool. He seems a lot happier and more comfortable when he stopped trying to seduce Allison, and ultimately, even though the sure thing is definitely willing to sleep with him, he decides he doesn't want that anymore despite having traveled across the country specifically to have sex with her. Obviously, there are a lot of different conclusions that could be drawn from this. I think a big one is that people who are socialized as boys, regardless of whether they're asexual or not, are often given a very toxic and unhealthy message about what their sex lives should be like, including the idea that women are objects to be tricked into providing momentary pleasure, and that having lots of sex is what makes you a real man. So it's rather refreshing to see a coming-of-age story that shows a young man maturing by actively choosing not to have sex with a woman who is given no name and is only identified by her willingness to put out. And in some ways, I don't want to encourage the headcanon that Gibb is asexual because I think it's important to show that allosexual men are allowed to say no when it doesn't feel right, and that that doesn't make them less of a man. But I also think the disconnect between how Gibb is expected to feel about the sure thing and how he actually feels when he meets her is very relatable to asexual people. Society's messages about how normal people feel about sex and sexual attraction are very confusing to people who don't feel that way. And I guess what this movie is trying to say is that some of those messages don't apply even to allosexual people. I just wish it didn't perpetuate the amatonormative message that sex and romance are vital aspects of the most important relationship in everyone's lives. In the story that Gibb writes to reveal to Allison that he didn't sleep with the sure thing, he reveals that she asked, do you love me, and that for the first time in his life he knew that those were more than just words, and that if he said it, it would be a lie, so he said no and left. And again, part of that feels very amatonormative, but at the same time, the whole idea of being true to yourself and honest with any prospective partners is a good message for people of all romantic and sexual orientations. 
I still hope to find a movie about a journey like this in which the leading man and woman explicitly end up as friends, let me know if you're aware of one, but I can almost be content imagining that soon after the events of this movie, Gibb and Allison realize that they don't actually like kissing each other but remain BFFs. Hey, it could happen. But that was definitely not the intent, and if you like cute 80s teen romance movies, the sure thing is definitely one to check out, if you can track it down. Don't let my weird aromantic headcanon ruin your appreciation for this romance. I'm not saying this movie was made for Airways people, by any means. My point is that realizing I was enjoying this movie in a very Airways way helped me come to the conclusion that I am Airways. And it's also a great movie aside from all that, as one would expect from this director and cast. Thank you for listening to me discuss another of my most frequently rewatched films. The Sure Thing was the only movie I watched exactly 26 times in the 20 years I was tracking, and I didn't watch any exactly 27 times, so next week I will be talking about the movie I watched 28 times, which is widely, and extremely incorrectly, regarded as one of the worst movies ever made. So that should be a fun episode. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. Forget herb, I never heard of a hit that had the word herb in it.